You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Good evening, everyone, and a very warm welcome to Satisfaction 101. This is the fourth in our series of these extra Sunday night seminars that we've been running, and some of you will be sharing that in person in Union Road tonight, and many of you will be watching it on live stream. The uh, series has been inspired by, by this book here called Is This It? by Rachel Jones. It's written by a, a, a lady, Rachel Jones, who, who's only in her 20s or early 30s. And I really recommend it to anyone in our congregation who's at that stage in life, maybe between their teens and their mid-30s. It's a really helpful book, asking some of those big questions that many of us ask as we're working through life at those early stages. So tonight our topic is one that relates to all of us, although some might say as a minister, sure you only work one day a week anyway. But our question tonight, or the challenge we face tonight is work. I hate my job. How long until I retire? In October 2017, the online newspaper called the Huffington Post published an article that broke down our entire lives into days or years spent doing certain tasks. The article unfolded something like this. When you're young, the life that lays before you has seemingly endless possibilities. You don't know what yet you'll do, who you'll be or where life will take you. Though, thanks to statistics, we can roughly predict how it will play out. Sure, we can't predict how your career path will unfold, but we can tell you on average how much time you'll spend doing everyday tasks. The average human spends just under 80 years on Earth. So let's start with that number. Of those years, a mind-blowing 26 years will be spent sleeping. But what's more surprising is that an additional seven years will be spent trying to get over to sleep. So that's a total of 33 years either trying or sleeping. You will also spend four years and six months eating. And it tells with some people, doesn't it? You'll spend three years and a month on holiday. You'll also spend more than 11 years looking at screens, whether that be TV, mobile phones, computers, yeah, let that sink in, 11 years of your life. You'll spend 235 days queuing, 115 days laughing, one year and three days socialising. And with men taking an average of 46 days getting ready to go out and socialise, and ladies a whopping 136 days making sure they look just right. Incredibly, when it's broken down like this, the average person only spends 
334 full days, full 24-hour days at school, but wait for it. And this is what's pertinent to us tonight. 13 years and two months working. That's 4,821 days working. And when you talk to people about work, it tends to go one of two ways, doesn't it? They're either looking at their watch or they're reaching for the ladder. In other words, when it comes to work, you'll either find people are counting down the days until the weekend, till they get off, or counting down the days until their next holiday, or for some even counting down the months until retirement. Or there are those reaching for the latter who are ambitious and waiting for the next job opportunity or position to come up that they can climb and fulfill their ambition in their promotions. And yet there's also that added dimension that we want our work to, to mean something, to be worth something, to add value to people. Some of you will remember the Madness song from the 1990s, Mondays must be love, must be love. And the implication being very clear that you should love what you do, look forward to a Monday. That we all owe it to ourselves to find and do a work we love and feel fulfilled in it or by it. Yet so often we find ourselves disappointed. Some of us just go and do our jobs, some of us actively hate our jobs. Some of us would love to, to get a job and get back into the routine. Some of us look at envy at other jobs. Why does something that we maybe loved at the start feel so difficult right now? Well, to understand that, we have to understand the underpinnings of our world. What holds it all together? But before we do that, let's remind ourselves that each of us, even tonight, is preparing for another Manic Monday. so the bangles really don't understand what a Sunday's for but you get the idea it all comes round to a Monday again and it all starts all over again for us at work doesn't it in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 we get the underpinnings for every area of our lives and it's there that we read that work was meant to feel good you're probably familiar more with Genesis chapter 1 than Genesis chapter 2 Genesis chapter 1 is where God makes all this stuff and everything is good. And then Genesis 2 gives us a slowed down version of that same creation account. And in Genesis 2 verse 5 we read, Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not yet sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. We read there that God was planning to turn his creation into an abundant garden, but he needed two things. Two things that still had not yet appeared water and a worker and so we read in Genesis 2 that God does two things he brings up these streams of water from the ground to water the plants and secondly the Lord forms the man from the dust of the ground verse 15 and he puts man to work in this garden water and a worker but still 
God looks and there's something missing. In verse 18, after a bit of invasive surgery, for Adam the woman is formed and the two human beings are created with differing strengths and skills, but all on the same mission. Because as some of you have heard on those cheesy business days away or those bonding exercises that we do sometimes on teams or at work, teamwork makes the dream work. And God sets out this big dream for human flourishing in society. If you look at Genesis 1 verse 28, as we are formed in God's image. And work is part of what God has tasked us to do in his image. As human beings in his image, we're created to work, to care and maintain, to preserve and encourage life, to help work uh, flourish in this world, to fill it and order it. That is why work is meant to feel good. Because that is how we were created, to work in order to bring order in society. So that's why you do get a thrill when you see your plans develop at work, or your work pay off in a certain area, or your company grow, or that deep investment pay dividends. We're working in the image of God, and it feels even better when we do it as part of a team, and we can enjoy and celebrate that success together. There's nothing wrong with that. That's how we were made. When our work makes someone else's life better, or when we feel satisfied at the completion of a project, we're the image of God. To quote from Rachel Jones again in her book, is this it? And this means that whatever work we do, even if we're underemployed, underpaid, or underappreciated, if we're doing the job of filling and ordering creation, then that work is worthwhile because we're working in the image of God. Work is, and work can be wonderful. And yet so often it's not, and Genesis goes on to tell us why. Because secondly, work has become more of a fight than a delight. More of a fight than a delight. Some of you remember the 1980s film Clockwise starring John Cleese, where headmaster Mr Stimson, who runs everything by clockwork, has one of those days. Where do you think you're going, Clint? The Guinness Book of Records? At one punctilious headmaster. I am going to the University of Norwich in the fair county of Norfolk. Right, Norwich. On time. Where are we? On the left. Right. Blend thoroughly. This is the train for Norwich. Plymouth. Plymouth? That was Norwich on the left. Huh? And you've one sure recipe for disaster. Taxi! I'll just pull the wing away from the wheel. They're vandalising those phones again. He's showing off his muscles and she's egging him on. Stay down! Our chairman, Mr. Stimson, is here. Clockwise is being in the right place at the right time. A rather silly example, granted, but we've all had days like that, haven't we? And that is because this world, as a result of our sin, we find work has become more of a fight than a delight. 
You just see, despite the lovely garden, the flourishing fields, the well-tended paradise, Adam and Eve wanted something more than the job that they had been given. They wanted not just to be working in the image of God, but they wanted to be God. They wanted to be sitting in his office with their feet on his desk, calling the shots for themselves. Genesis 3 verse 5 tells us that. And so they ate what they were commanded not to eat and did what they were told not to do. And in their disobedience, creation came crashing down and work has never been perfectly satisfying nor straightforward ever since. Work is good because it's been given by God, but work has now become hard because the earth has been cursed by God as a result of our sin. That's what unfolds in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 to 19. Please turn that up with me. Genesis 3, verses 14 to 19. We'll read it together. Genesis 3, verse 14. So the Lord God said to the snake, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labour you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. You see, humanity's gardening project was now a fight rather than a delight. With thorns and thistles and sweat in the brow, what had once been an exciting task, marked with joy, became a battle to survive, Work, like every other aspect of life, was now full of frustration and disappointments. And the man and the woman's relationship also broke down as they shifted the blame one to the other and the struggles surrounding work and work colleagues began. You see, the sin in us and the sin all around us is the very reason why work is so frustratingly hard. Our colleagues gossip. Our boss is a bully. Our machinery breaks down, our returns are shrinking, our futures look uncertain, our pupils are draining, our support team is lacking, our day-to-days are just plain boring. We need to know this, young people need to know this, because the thing that people ask us from the age of nothing is, well, what is it you want to be when you grow up? And as we have seen, work is the thing that we spend most of our time on, apart from sleeping. But these sleepless nights often come as a result of the frustration that we have with work. This is normal in the post-Genesis 3 world. So what about that job you're in that you hate or you're frustrated in? Are you to stick or twist? What now? Well, it's funny. It's one of those questions I actually get asked probably more than anything else in a pastoral conversation. People wanting to ask me what they think God's view is of the career they're on. They want to maybe turn it into a very spiritual conversation, especially some of our more astute younger folks. You know, David, they say, I want to go into a job and I want to help people and I want to do God's will and I want to know that God's leading me there, which is all very noble. But 
I'm going to be pretty blunt tonight. God cares deeply about you, but he doesn't care so much about the job you do. You see, the Bible isn't a courier's advice booklet. This book doesn't tell us what we are to do, but it tells us what we've been gifted with and how we're to use them. I mean, I would make a useless plumber, but equally some of us wouldn't have the patience needed to be a farmer. And others would be petrified of standing up in front of a crowd so you couldn't be a teacher. And others are more creative and others less mechanically minded. And we tend to find out for ourselves what we're capable of and what kinds of abilities that we have with our minds and our hearts and our hands and our personalities and what kind of people that we are. Listen to what Paul had to say to those who were Christians and slaves in first century Corinth. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let that trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called as Christ's slave, you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. What's Paul saying there? Paul is basically saying, contrary to popular Christian belief, Christians are, by and large, free to do what they want with regard to their jobs, including when it comes to careers. If it's not sinful, you're free to do it. If you hate your job, feel free to go and apply or look for a new one. Don't feel you're being less than spiritual for leaving or wanting to move on. Some of us can be prone to playing the martyr and staying inside miserable conditions because we feel that we must be where God wants us to be. But hear what Paul says, look again, 1 Corinthians 7 verse 21. If you can gain your freedom, do so. If you're so unhappy with your job, get out and find a new one. Don't let it bother you. But a wee note of caution. While we're free to move jobs, it's not always good to move on. Because in the long run, Paul says it doesn't actually matter that much. There are things that matter more and that's a good test for us. Let me suggest some that come through in the scriptures that matter more than the jobs we do. Does the job we have or the job we hanker after enable us to have the time and energy to be a good Christian friend to others? The second thing, to have time to bless our family. If we're parents, does this job mean we've less time with our family or more time with our family, our wives, our husbands, our children, our elderly parents or wherever? And does this job enable us to serve our church family better? Those are good questions to ask of any job that we seek after. Three genuine questions that I want her to ponder on tonight. Do the jobs we do stop us from being a friend, being a gospel leader in our homes and a gospel servant in our church? Rachel Jones summarised it brilliantly again for us. I don't know how much your boss values you, but I know how much your Lord does. Verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 7, he has bought you with a price and the price was his own life. And it's this truth that has the power to transform our mindset at work. If you are a Christian, your employment status does not define you. The approval or disappointment of people about your working life, be that of your boss, your parents or yourself, doesn't ultimately matter. I remember about five years after I left school, I bumped into my A-level politics teacher who stopped me and asked me, well, Leachie, what are you doing with yourself now? 
I said I'm a primary school teacher, at which point he burst out laughing and he was doubled over. He found it so hysterical. Five years after that, I bumped into another teacher who taught me at GCSE. And they asked me, well, David, what are you doing with yourself now? And I said, I'm training to be a, a minister. Same response. I don't know whether it was me or whether they thought it was a crazy idea being a teacher or a minister. But whether your job title is slave or master, intern, sales assistant, deputy, doctor, PR coordinator, call centre worker, structural engineer, whatever sign is on your door, whatever qualifications you might have, in God's eyes as a Christian, you are God's free person if you're trusting in our Lord Jesus Christ as Saviour. And that is what gives us hope. Even a joy as we step out to work on a Monday morning. As we often sing, my worth is not in what I own, but in who I am, in Jesus Christ and what he's done for me at the cross. So we're nearly finished. Let me just leave you with some final thoughts from a letter that we've all become very familiar with over these lockdown months. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, where he writes in chapter 6, verses 5 to 9, what I might call a window on the workplace, where we see both workers and bosses. He writes there, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is upon you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. A window on the workplace. You see, Paul writes here to slaves to strengthen their faith and inspire them in their joy. Now, to be very clear, the slavery spoken about here was not the brutal slavery that we've heard so much about again in recent days as a result of the Black Lives Matter campaign, as a result of American or European cruelty to those who were taken away from Africa at the time. It's not the same kind of slavery, but rather these were slaves who maybe had, had owed something to someone in Roman society, so they sold themselves into their service, into their family home to work for them. Or others might have been brought from other parts of the Roman Empire as a result of the, the, the triumph of the great conquering Roman army and brought to work in some of the huge cities across the Roman Empire. So some of these people might have been farmers or teachers, builders, professional people, civil servants, doctors. All of these would have been slaves. The one thing they were was that they were accountable to someone. They were accountable to whoever their master might be. Might be in a home or on a farm or the equivalent of an office. If Paul could write these self-denying words to slaves about their own livelihoods, could he write them to us about our jobs? I believe so. Today, we're, we're not slaves. We have not been sold to a master, and yet many of us give ourselves over 40 hours a week and more to a master, a boss, a company, an employer. And as we peek through the window of the Christian's office or ward or factory or classroom, noticing him or her at work, we read these verses that Christians are to stand out in attitude and in relationships in the workplace. Verses 5 and 6 of Ephesians 6. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. The fear spoken of here is a, is a good fear. 
It is a respectful reverence to those who are in authority over us. Here's the first thing I want us to notice. Our work is for God, no matter who our boss might be. Our work is for God, no matter who our boss might be. Your pays you earn, or tax, or national insurance forms may say you work for the government, or business, or even for yourself, but Paul says, ultimately, as a Christian, your work and service is for God. You're always, first and foremost, an employee of Jesus Christ. Every task you complete comes underneath his lordship. You may never be paid to share the gospel, but it still hangs over everything else we are paid to do. Work as if Christ were our only superior, with holy fear and with sincerity. Why? Well, you know, bosses can cheat us, lie to us, even sack us. But Christ can do far worse to us and far better. For he not only sees our every move at work, but he knows our every thought. Nothing ever gets past our Lord Jesus, and he is the only one who can send us to hell. If your boss monitored you all day, every day, would you work differently? That's the question. Our almighty saviour and judge sits even closer than that, monitoring everything we do. If we go about our everyday work with greater seriousness and joy, people will then maybe ask us about our boss. And you see, the idea here is the idea of a healthy fear, a loyalty whose nervousness lies in the thought that a loved one might be let down. I don't know who your boss is. I maybe don't even know where all of you work. I don't see the name on the office door. But all of us as Christians see Christ and he is our master and Lord. So how we work reflects on him. Secondly, the standard is not just excellence, but sincerity. The standard is not just excellence, but sincerity. Verses 5 and 6 in Ephesians 6. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether slave or free. You see, men and women chasing the dream love to be told to work harder and achieve more. They help climb the ladder. They work from the heart. But very often it's a heart that's in love with money or reputation or recognition or themselves. Christians are to dream about our jobs differently. When we work from the heart, we work for a passion for Jesus. In older versions, these verses talk about eye service, not just to do it for the sake of the, the master's eye. You know, the work that catches the boss's eye. So when he's passing, oh, we're back to it and everything looks good. So we hear, well done, or we're held up on an example as a model worker. In my scandalous teacher training days, we were all required to do PE classes. And so there was always this sight of folks in their late teens or early 20s in their tracksuits doing what was the equivalent of primary six PE. The worst of all was dance, but just behind that for me was gymnastics. So me and a mate had it work brilliantly. We were meant to be doing forward rolls. Having just stuffed ourselves with bacon rolls at coffee time, we timed it exactly that when the PE teacher turned her back and then came back towards us, we always seemed to be coming out very dramatically of the roll. And we always did something like this. As if, yeah, what a stance. As if we were Olympic athletes coming out of a tremendous forward roll. We were eye-pleasing until one day my mate's stance was so beautiful as he finished with such a flourish that he was asked to demonstrate the roll to the whole class. 
We're all very good at knowing how to catch the eye. It's a deception we learn as we work and it is dangerous. Rather, we are to work from a full heart, not striving to fill our hearts or make ourselves look good. That kind of heart, not mere excellence, makes our work distinctly Christian. That does not mean that Christians should do their work as best as we possibly can. It, it, we should, but as if we are completing our work, but we're doing it specifically for Christ. But excellence can easily be mistaken for Christ-likeness, when and in and of itself it says nothing about Jesus. I mean, there are lots of nurses and teachers and engineers and mothers who do their work excellently out there, but they don't love Jesus. Something else must set our excellence apart from every other kind of excellence, and that something else happens in our heart before it reaches our hands, it's whenever we see Christ, we do it for him. Thirdly and finally, Christian author and writer for Desiring God, Marshall Seagal, goes on with a third point. He says this, the goal is not another paycheck here, but our treasure in heaven. Slaves, obey your earthly masters, said Ephesians 6, verses 5 and 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. Do you think about your job primarily in terms of what it will reap in this life or in the next? The work these slaves did each day may have led to many things, might have led to favour in their master, promotion, even financial gain. Ultimately, for so many slaves, they would long for freedom to be released by their master for such a good job that they had done. But Paul says the most important outcome could not be had or achieved here on earth. No, the work they were doing was mainly about storing up treasure in heaven, pleasing their heavenly master. As Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19 to 21, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Another paycheck may feel like our most immediate need at the minute, to pay the bills, to pay for that holiday, to get that mortgage, but it's just another grain of sand compared with all that God will give us for eternity. Paychecks are so predictable and tradable next to the overwhelming unknowns of what we will receive from the Lord. But the adrenaline high and the false security runs out on earth very fast. And every one of those paychecks will ultimately bounce in paradise. Instead of settling for a few higher numbers on that tiny piece of paper that we'll probably spend by the end of the month, let's work like those who are working for more than we could ever imagine for ourselves. Some of you, even at this moment, are experiencing the Sunday night, Monday morning blues already. Work is not there, or work is tough, or work is rough, or you're in a rut, or work is great and you can't wait until 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. But let me urge you to seek ultimate fulfilment in work and you will end up frustrated. The ladder will never reach high enough. So rather seek the ultimate fulfilment. Is it in the weekend or the work you'll do or the clock that's ticking past? No, no, no. It's not in the ladder of promotion. 
It's not in the clock that brings us closer to the weekend or retirement. But as Rachel Jones concludes, seek fulfilment in the God who created work as good and you will be free to enjoy what work offers with gratitude and ride out the frustrations that work brings with joy. I don't know how much your boss values you, but I know how much the Lord does. You've been bought with a price, the blood of his own son. He loves you deeply. So go and work lovingly and fearfully.